Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hey, everyone. Just before we start the show, I I wanted to take a second to say a few words about our, our very kind sponsors. 100 Resilient Cities is a part of the Rockefeller Foundation, which which you'll probably know is one of the world's largest charitable endowments. 100 Resilient Cities is is focused on, on helping cities around the world become more resilient to the, the social, physical and economic challenges of the 21st century. They're doing some excellent projects in terms of, you know, environmental sustainability, in terms of economic sustainability, and just in terms of, you know, making life generally better for everyone in cities from Manchester to Miami, to Melbourne, to Montevideo. You can find out lots more, including reading up on some of those fantastic projects, at their website, which is 100resilientcities.org. Anyway, now on with the show. You know when you said, I didn't think I'd make it to three figures? It sounded like you were giving a speech at your 100th birthday. Can we not just, like, do a podcast about how old I am, please? That's going to be really upsetting. (laughs) This is a Manhattan-bound B Express train. The next stop is Grand Street. Mind the gap. Hello, I'm John Elledge, and this is Skyline's The City Metric Podcast. It's our 100th episode, which is quite a lot of my life and possibly your lives that you've wasted on this rubbish by now. And I say, I say it's our 100th episode because I'm not actually alone this time. Hi, John. Hello. <laughs> How are you doing? I like how quickly you went from it's our 100th episode <laughs> to like the will to live, losing your body. Do I need to introduce myself so people know who I am? We, we, obviously, we're picking up new picking up new listeners all the time. And you, 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 you left quite a long time ago now, actually. I think you kind of, you disappeared less than halfway through the run. So there are probably quite a lot of people who haven't got the faintest idea who you are. Actually. Well, I'm Stephanie Boland and I was formerly of the New Statesman, but I'm now web editor at Prospect Magazine. And formerly co-host of, of skylines oh yeah yeah, yeah. no i did the, do a bit of that yeah, yeah that was yeah. A, that was a thing yeah, you did yeah. and you used to get much better guests than i did to be honest you have much cooler friends than i do not not naming any jim watsons in particular <laughs> but you, you you got like an actual rock star on that was kind of impressive we did get an actual rock star on yeah but i mean jim is kind of a rock star of the guardian media pages <laughs> 
it's the the worst of rock stars. <laughs> that was such That's, a backhanded compliment. Yeah. I'm so sorry. But yeah, it's great to have got uh, three figures. It seems to have snuck up on me. But you know, lots of people, more people are listening than are than were when you were around by a significant number, which is weird because I think it was better when you were around, to be honest. But you know, but it's continued to grow. We got a write up in in the Observer the other week, and yeah, you know, people often tweet us nice or angry things after an episode comes out from all sorts of places. So it's it's really exciting that you know I never actually. To be honest, I'm a bit surprised anyone bothers listening. It's kind of nice that you're all there. Okay, so so episode 100, we're really pushing the boat out, by which I mean that I've got like various familiar voices. People people whose voices should be familiar if you've listened to every podcast and memorised them anyway. People have sent us some questions that we're going to answer. Okay. So, so we should we do that? Yes. <laughs> Hi, my name is Barbara Speed and I'm a former staff writer at City Metric and former co-host of the Skylines podcast. And my question is around cities and politics. Um, we think of cities usually as being fairly left-wing, especially in the UK. They tend to have Labour on councils, Labour MPs. Yet at the same time, cities are where kind of the pillars of capitalism all are. That's where the bankers are. In London, you have the City of London. So my question is, are cities left-wing? And if so, why? It's a great question from Barbara. Hi, Barbara. You know she can't actually hear you, right? Like, I know. I was trying to create a bit of atmosphere for you for your one hundredth podcast. Okay. All right. I won't bother. No, but it is. It's a good question. Yeah, it's a great question. I think it's also it's a question that's kind of like it, this is one of the fault lines of our of our times politically, right? Isn't it? The division between not not the city exactly, but this is the metropolitan and and whatever else there is it's not quite rural because small towns fit in there as well but it's kind of like you know the metropolitan versus the other and that fault line lies at the root of brexit it lies at the root of the trump election in in the u.s in 2016 so yeah it's it's certainly a very a very live question what do you are cities left wing what do you i mean you're from manchester so you probably have <laughs> a misleading view of these things well what i think is really interesting about barbara's question you're right it comes to this fault line that is being explored all across politics and has been explored very well in, in skylines within this room, which is that cities kind of work in two ways. So is our political setup in terms of how cities function, where capital is moved, the distribution of resources around things like transport left wing, or are the people in cities left wing? And it's curious that the answer to the former might well be no, there needs to be redistribution, but the answer to the latter is yes. <laughs> I think I'm going to give a very city metric answer, which is that it depends what you mean by left wing. <laughs> the uh, platonic ideal of a city metric post is you just instantly start arguing for the terms or saying that it's not, or you, it depends how you count something or whatever. But I think cities are not necessarily left wing in the old fashioned, economically redistributive way, but they are often socially liberal but this and, is my and point. those to align but don't always align right? but there's a difference between the inhabitants of cities and the city as a as a structure within politics that's kind of what she's getting at when she talks about they tend to have labor councils and be labor voting at least within england but the fact that they are centers of capitalism and the fact that for instance london transport spending per head is so great while cornwall's railway system falls into the sea occasionally is not a particularly left-wing state of affairs again depending on whose definition of left-wing you're using but i'm relieved because i thought you were going to say this all goes back to what you consider to be a city and that whole can of worms isn't one i think i can face again it's fine we'll do that in the pub afterwards we don't oh. need to do that now. 
this is this is another problem you run into which is that there are i'm going to get letters for this but there are good arguments for spending more money per head on transport in cities than in rural areas because you need a certain measure of density for public transport to work you're never going to get a, a, a transport network for Cornwall in the same way you have one for London because just the population is too dispersed. Like the private car makes far more far more sense in a place like Cornwall. Whereas in London, if everyone had a private car, then no one would ever move. We would just all literally be kind of trapped in our cars, not going anywhere the whole time. So, so it does actually in some ways make sense to spend more. But it probably doesn't make sense to spend quite as much more on London than we do on, say, I don't know, Birmingham or Newcastle. You know, other cities could also do with a bit more spending. So to sum up, I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, no, I'm not sure. Yes, cities are left wing, but somebody should be sorting them out in a more left wing way. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, at risk of repeating myself, I think the problem here is with the definition of, like, our, our idea of left-wing and right-wing doesn't necessarily, it's just a bit oversimplistic. Like, there's a lot of people in, in London who work in the city and are very liberal, in the cities, in the financial sector rather than the city, the big urban hmm. thing. There's a lot of people who, who work in the city of London, have quite liberal views, sort of very socially liberal, non-racist, non-homophobic and so on. But still don't really believe in like taxes or like, you know, paying money to kind of, you know, look after people who don't earn as much money as them. So is that left wing? No, in some ways, but also in some ways, yes. I think I'd be more cynical than you about the social liberalism of city workers, but that's <laughs> okay. We'll that's just, another one for the pub, I think. We'll do that in the pub <laughs> as well, yeah. Okay, cool. Good, thank you, Barbara, for a good question. Barbara sent in a very good question. I'm afraid I also have some questions for you, John. Okay, but it's not... <laughs> was that part of the plan? Did we agree that? Well, we had such a fine tradition of City Metric on air quizzes. I thought that you might enjoy me asking you a hundred questions about cities. Oh, you are kidding. I mean, a hundred. Well, I then realised we wouldn't have time for that. So I'll, I'll give you the 100 to, to put on your city's website and, okay. and just ask you some of them today okay well another part of the city metric way is never to argue with free content so okay what i I thought i thought the kind of bribe would be efficient on that okay give me some give me some questions what do you want first do you want the london round the city history round or the number round oh go 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 let's go with city history why not okay those are probably the easiest ones so that's a good move which city began its life as a small fishing village called edo Oh, I know that one. It's Tokyo. Tokyo, well done. Which city is described in the Bible as the city of palm trees? I mean, that's most of the Bible. <laughs> Are there many cities in the it's Bible? Just palm that trees don't all have... over yeah. the shop. And the whole place. I mean, the Bible is basically Miami, isn't it? It's like <laughs> I, I, I don't know. It, um, is it a city that still exists? Uh, it's Jericho. Ah. Possibly one of the oldest cities in the world. One of the oldest cities in the world, the city of palm trees. What was New York City called before the English took over it? Oh, that's an easy one. That's New Amsterdam. Correct. Except it was probably called that in Dutch. Yeah, I mean, I've written it in Dutch, but I'm not going to try and pronounce it in Dutch. No, yes, you are. You are are going (laughs) Uh, to try and pronounce it. Neue Amsterdam, is that right? That's actually, I don't know if that's I don't know. right, but that was very... I said it very confidently, you so did, you now so... think I must be right. So, yeah, I'm willing, to, I'm willing to believe that. Dutch listeners, write in and tell me how wrong I am. Until 1948, San Francisco was a part of which city? 
until 1948, San yeah, Francisco. Yeah, it was, was officially part of another city. I don't. Oakland? Mexico City. What? I got. These are all off the internet. I might be wrong. <laughs> it's nowhere near Mexico. What, what are you talking about? Anyway, moving on. We won't. No, no quibbling with the questions, please. No, hang on. No, hang on. <laughs> what are you talking about? I don't know. The internet told me it was true. Stop Googling. <laughs> no, I, I, I genuinely want to know. Like, what, Okay, ask me another question while I, while I work out what you're talking about. You get minus five points every time you dispute the questions. The Ben Ezra Synagogue is thought to be the oldest synagogue. Where is it found? Uh, I mean, logic would dictate Jerusalem. Cairo. Really? Well, again, it's off the internet. <laughs> here's, here's one which I think you'll actually not dispute, I hope. Which city was the first in Europe to have traffic lights? Oh, this is somewhere random in Britain, isn't it? But I can't remember which one. Oh, no, it's not. It's a, it's a major city. Oh. Uh, for very efficient people. Berlin. Yes. Yeah. When were beaches built in Barcelona? Oh, that was for the Olympics. That was 92. 92. Well done. My colleague didn't know that. I was quite surprised. It is. It does kind of blow my mind slightly that Barcelona is this great, you know, it's the largest city on the Mediterranean on some measures. And it's got these fantastic beaches and they weren't there until 25 years ago. That's insane. I know. When I was born, there were no beaches in Barcelona. Yeah. You're, I mean, you're getting, you're getting on a bit now, but you, when we first did this, you were quite young. I'm still Whereas quite now, young. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, 30 is, is starting to loom. Okay, well, you remember the next one. When was What was the capital of Pakistan on one o'clock in the morning on August 15th, 1947? You remember 47, right? Okay, so this is... I'm going to ignore that jibe. This is... <laughs> I'm assuming... Is is this a trick question? It was just, That's the moment of partition. It's, ju- it's just after independence. Independence was at midnight. Karachi. Yes. Well done. Which city was bombed accidentally in World War Two? I mean, how are we defining accidentally? Uh, why do you always have to quibble terms, okay? Because <laughs> I thought there might be an interesting discussion there about, you know, how do you accidentally, whoops, bomb them again? I don't know. Well, the, like... I don't know. Maybe the equipment failed or they didn't have the right maps or something like that. I... <sighs> it's a city you would fly over, but neither side should have really been bombing. So somewhere neutral between here and Germany, ish. Ish, yeah. Uh, Sweden was neutral. Stockholm. No, nearer to Germany. Very close to Germany, actually. Uh, Copenhagen. South. South. Um, Bankers. Cuckoo clocks. Amsterdam. Cuckoo clocks. Geneva. Uh, more German. More German than Geneva. Yeah. Oh, Geneva's French, isn't it? Uh, Zurich. Yes. <laughs> And finally, in the city history round, where is Thames Town? Oh, um, it's a fake English place. It's either somewhere in Shanghai or it's Dubai. It's one of them. It's China. Well done. Yeah, it's really weird. Have you written on this? Uh, I don't know. There is definitely... Like, have you been to Dubai? No, I've never been to Dubai. They have a lot of skyscrapers pretending to be other things. There is a skyscraper in Dubai that's basically like Big Ben, except it's not Big Ben. It's a massive skyscraper in Dubai. It's really weird. That's quite odd. It's quite an odd place. Yeah. Do you want another round or do you want more no, listener no, questions? Let's, okay. Let's do, another, let's do another question from listeners. This is Paul Swinney, Head of Policy Research at Send of the Cities. My question is, in 20 years' time, when a robot monkey has replaced John at City Metric Towers, what will it be typing about Manchester? 
Northern superstar or perennial underachiever? Wow. <laughs> you'd, I thought you'd like that question. It's about Manchester. Perennial underachiever. Oh, it wouldn't hurt so much if it wasn't what my dad calls me. Um, I Obviously, I want to say the former, but I think, sadly, we might be at the latter, purely because Paul brought in automation. And the Centre for Cities report on automation suggests that it could increase the north-south economic divide unless decisive action is taken to make sure that its influence is not uneven across these aisles. And I am not sure that I would trust the government to do that. So with reference to actual real research, I'm going to say the latter. Yeah, no, I, I remember that report. It was It's quite depressing how all these reports suggest that, you know, well, this is going to hurt the economy, but it's going to hurt the North most. It's every time, every bloody time. The same You get the same in Brexit reports as well, right? And it is partly about we've kind of got this quite divided economy where some some cities have, like, incredibly expensive land, so all the skilled jobs go there because there's, there's no point having, like, logistics centres in the outskirts of London. You're just wasting your money. So you put them in Hull, where the land is much cheaper, but it means they're kind of, like, much lower-skilled jobs. I don't really know which side of that divide Manchester is going to fall on because, while it really has kind of come up the last few years. Like, the city centre really feels incredibly vibrant, not just culturally, but sort of economically too. You can, there's always a lot of building work going on. You can get a flat white there now, I hear. Yeah, I've, I've heard always that. a good indicator. Ma- yeah, Mayor of Greater Manchester, Andy Burnham, tells me you can get a flat white there now. I think part of the issue goes back to the question of where the cities are left-wing, right? Because I think for Manchester be, to be the type of city it should be, and actually when you think of post-industrial cities and you think of automation, there's a narrative there that you could quite easily decide to make them reinvigorated centres of industry in terms of digital industry, and I know some people around places like Rochdale have been trying to do that. But Manchester still barely has a functioning bus service at the moment. Um, you have empty flats all over Deansgate where people were... Th- apparently going to move when Media City moved up there and then were not filled. So there needs to be intervention to make these things come to fruition. But I think there will be on at least some of those. Like, the buses are are horrible at the moment, but that power is kind of gradually coming. I hope so. I hope so. I hope we don't end up in a situation where the country's politics are so arrested by Brexit that these things that need to happen domestically don't. I mean, this question is kind of, are you an optimist or are you a pessimist? Which leaves you very torn if you're from a northern city because pessimism is so close to our hearts and yet Manchester's so wonderful. I just think there are there are signs with Manchester that I, I think actually having a mayoralty will be, I mean, even though it's Andy Burnham, I think having kind of a, a regional leader will be very good for Manchester. I think having someone whose job it is to bang the drum for the region, to kind of bring people together, broker deals, he or whoever fills his shoes at some point in the future will kind of keep pressing for like the, the, the bus re-regulation stuff. And that will actually, no one cares about buses is the problem. Like people, like people mock Jeremy Corbyn when he asked about buses in the Houses of Parliament. But in so much of the country, it's the appalling bus services that are the biggest failure in the public transport system right so i kind of think like stuff like that where there is someone whose job it is to kind of sort this stuff out is is probably that's probably really going to help i think manchester's more likely to sort this stuff out than i don't know leeds i think that's definitely true and it's um, it's something that jen williams at the manchester evening news to her credit has been banging her drum on for a, a long time and yeah i think you're right i think burnham's really sort of leaning into going infrastructure has to be at the heart of this and there's so many things that come from it i mean if you want to have a city center that's not polluted 
needed, which is what you want in, in a place like Manchester, then you need to have a functioning bus service because at the moment you can't, for instance, put a congestion charge on cars there yeah. because everybody, like we were saying earlier, needs their car to get in. I mean, it also comes back to our big question of the Northern Powerhouse. Are we actually going to link up these cities and allow this to be a vibrant area of industry across the north? Um, yes, yes, please. It's fine. I'm sure as soon as the government has dealt with Brexit, that's that's next on the agenda. If you're listening, you should know John does not even look convinced on the level of <laughs> irony it sounds like he's operating on. Do you know, um, the other week I had a piece in the in the print edition of the New Statesman suggesting we should move the capital to Manchester. No, I did not know that. Well, I mean, my argument was that we should move the capital to Manchester. Why? London doesn't need it. I mean, like, London is going to Do you to mean be... kind of the parliamentary administrative centre? All of it. Yeah. All of it. Like, I think it's this is it's not something you just flick a button and do. I think it's a it's a twenty year project. You kind of need to sort of say, okay, by twenty forty, the capital will be outside of London. So that way, you kind of have a sort of long run up. You don't have people being like, well, I'm you know, I have kids in school down here. I can't disrupt. And you know, if you tried to do it instantly, like you just lose loads of people because some would be sort of unwilling or snobbish about it but some literally couldn't move because of like you know family commitments or whatever if you have like a 20-year run-up all those problems become much easier to deal with and i kind of think london's economy is going to be fine like it's difficult to work out how to persuade say you know the tech industry or the financial services industry that they'd be better off in the north but the government we do know how to move it's gonna be a pain in the ass but you can do it well yeah maybe we need a further runway at manchester airport and then we can I mean, building runways solves everything. Let's just pick up all of Heathrow and move it to the north, and then we'll we'll take it from there. This is a whole different thing. I don't understand why the government just spends so much political capital not building another runway at Heathrow. It's like there are bits of the country that would that are screaming for that infrastructure, and you can actually, you can't magically change, but it would help. Like if you build another runway at Birmingham Airport, once HS2 happens, that's actually quite convenient for London. It doesn't matter because after Brexit, we're going to change flights in Amsterdam or Charles de Gaulle anyway. So <laughs> After Brexit, there won't be any flights. <laughs> Planes in yeah. the sky. Do you want some more of my fun questions? Okay, okay, let's did do you, it. Did you find out whether or not you want to dispute this thing about Mexico City? I can find literally no reference to this. And I'm slightly... Con- I mean, San Francisco was in Me- Mexico in that, like, the entire Western United States was, was like, stolen from Mexico in the war of 1846. Stolen land in the United States? I know, that blew my mind as well. This is a revelation. President James K. Polk has a lot to answer for, but I don't think it was ever administratively considered part of Mexico City, which is a very long way away. Do you want the London round or do you want the number round? I want you to answer for your crimes, but for now we'll do the, the London round. The London round, okay. Why is Cock Lane near Hoban Viaduct so-called... Um, red light district. Yeah, only street license for prostitution. Yeah. I tested these questions on my colleagues at Prospect, and they all thought there was like a little poultry farm there, no. which I thought was really cute. There used to be one called, um, I mean, I literally can't say it on a family podcast. I'll just be It's like the there. grapes. Uh, Everything called the grapes used to be called grope oh. something. When you, walk, when you walk around the city and there's like grape something no, road, it used that. to be grope. No, the thing the thing I was referring to is the dirtiest street name in London at one point was Grope Lane. Yeah, so it now yeah. but they become grapes. Yeah. Yeah, which so, I, don't, I don't think everyone's falling for. What London landmark sounds in the key of E? Big Ben? It is Big Ben, or, oh, the, or the clock tower, yeah. 
well, I mean, Big Ben is the name of the bell, right? So literally, yeah. for once, this is a rare, this is a rare this is example correct. of being factually <laughs> But the landmark is the clock tower, I suppose. Yes. I don't know. Yeah. I put both with a slasher that nobody could get annoyed. Oh, they will. <laughs> what Charlotte Street Tavern famously hosted Dylan Thomas, George Orwell and Alistair Crowley, who invented a cocktail there? I mean, the famous tavern on Charlotte Street is the Fitzroy. It is the Fitzroy, well done. Which is a fairly dreadful pub. Is it? I've never been. Oh, I used to go, Doctor Who fans used to meet there. Is that because so, of the Crowley Lake? So bit? I have very traumatic memories of it. Oh, God. Which landmark is an address of number one London? Oh, uh, Hyde Park Corner, isn't it? Yeah, it's Aspley House, which is on 149 Piccadilly Hyde Park Corner. Um, you got any hard ones? These are a bit... All right. Well, you've not got to the numbers round yet. Okay. Which famous London shop sold cocaine until 1916? I imagine quite a lot of them, because like, everyone was at it before the war, weren't they? Um, but... I don't... Harrods? Yeah, it was Harrods. Where is London's pet cemetery? Uh, I mean, when our goldfish died, we just... The first few we sort of would take to the canal to do a proper Viking burial and give them like a, you know, a bit of food for the journey. And, a Viking? Uh, you, you put your goldfish in a boat and set it alight? I mean, we dumped them in the canal. It was a bit Viking. <laughs> But like once you're on your like your fourth generation of fish, you really it's, it's a long walk to the canal, so it's just flush the bloody thing. You make it sound like you were a kind of amateur goldfish breeder when you talk about four generations of. No, we were just very bad goldfish owners. It didn't <laughs> anyway. Move it. I when, when you were done, kind of reliving your childhood trauma. I don't know. Hyde Park. Oh, you know, okay. you never took a goldfish out to Hyde Park. No, well, I lived in Islington, so it's like it would have been like a bit weird on the bus. <laughs> Who nightly announces the presence of Queen Elizabeth's keys? Um, uh, yeah, uh, Olivia Coleman. She's never a thing. <laughs> no. This is one of those weird English things that make other countries think we're really odd. So the answer is the chief warder. Every night there is a key ceremony at the Tower of London where they announce the arrival of the Queen Elizabeth's keys. Oh. And allow them to pass, and I don't know. I don't know if the taxpayer okay. is playing for that, but I, I we we basically have kind of role play every night at the Tower of London. I bet they do. <laughs> any, um, any more? And then moving on from that, how many basic routes are there in the knowledge? Oh, um... for our international listeners, the knowledge is the exam that London black cab drivers have to undergo. I think it's a number. I'm going to feel like I know when you say it, but I don't know. Should I guess an order of magnitude? Yeah, sure. It's about 80? 320. Uh, so I was, yeah, it's yeah. a lot, right? The tube transports 3 million people a day. About how many people have been recorded as being born on the tube? Okay, it's 150 years old. Mostly, I think they probably managed to get them off. I'd say it's a small number. I'd say uh, four. Three, well done. And then, finally, what percentage of English train journeys start or finish in London? Oh, it's something obscene, like 70%. 70%? Gosh, you're good at the London round. I'm just... I. It's possible I've been in this job too long. Yeah. <laughs> Let's save the existential crisis for the end of the episode, okay. please. Yeah. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. 
If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Should, should, we, should we have another question from, uh, from a friend of the show? Yeah. Hello, my name's Jim Watson. I sometimes tweet a bit and occasionally write for some news outlets. I'm recording this at London Bridge Station for a bit of extra atmosphere and, and my question is this. You write for City Metric. When I was growing up in 1940s rural Yorkshire, I was taught that a city was someone with a cathedral, a town was something with a market and a village was, I don't know what a village was, it was what I lived in. So what are the new criteria? Because there's clearly loads of cities that shouldn't be cities and towns that should be upgraded. What is the new criteria that you devise for having a city in the UK? What's the minimum it needs to be? This is precisely the can of worms I said we shouldn't open earlier in the podcast. I had no. genuinely forgot. Like, I have, I have actually heard all these questions before because I had to check the tape was was audible, but like, I've forgotten it. So, so now I'm excited. I think it's a really. It's it's not actually true that you need a cathedral to be a city. There was no point in history where that was true in England. It was done by effectively royal decree. So there are some incredibly small places that are officially cities. I think the smallest is St. David's in Wales, which is a, a village of three thousand people, and I think that does have a cathedral, but. It's not actually the rule. It is basically just like the the monarch saying, "Yep, you can be a city," which is which is stupid, right? What are the places that aren't officially cities that you think should be? I mean, one of the big ones that that gets so angry about this, it did literally once start calling itself a city, and was told not to by the government is Reading, which is not. I mean, I'm not. I'm not saying like Reading is like you know. It, it's not like, you know, Chicago or something, is it? But it is, it's a settlement of like several hundred thousand people. And on that level, it's kind of a bit weird that it isn't one. I actually think the really boring answer is just like population should be the key thing, really. I think above anywhere above about 100,000, I think you're kind of in the ballpark. And do you have kind of thoughts if it's if it, a dense population of that size, I presume, within, you know, within a relatively contained? Yeah, I mean, I think you kind of need... 
a concentration. I think you can't just have like sprawl. Where, like, I mean, somewhere like Southend on Sea is more marginal because even though that's the urban area is still about a quarter of a million people, which is you know that's a lot. But it's really because it's about four or five towns that have merged because they sit just the other side of the green belt, so you can actually build houses there. So is that a, is that a city or not? I don't know. Like we class it as one when we when we play with the centre for cities data, but that's mostly because it's kind of easier to just draw a line and say, okay, this side of the city is this other. But I think it's got a sort of weaker claim than somewhere like Reading that is very clearly. You know, it is a sizable settlement. If somewhere of that scale had existed outside the London commuter belt, I think it's inconceivable that you wouldn't treat it as a city, really. I don't know. I'm kind of fond of the idea that we have a very small city in Wales and a massive commuter town that clearly is a city in size. Why? Um, Don't you find that really irritating? No, I find it quite funny. I think we should call other very small places cities just... If I, I don't know, if I was the Queen, I would abuse this power so much. Okay. While we're talking about numbers, are you ready to do the number round? All right. All right. Okay. Which city consumes 125 tonnes of sausages every day? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't even know if that's... Is that a lot? I mean, like, if you have if you have ten million people, that might not be a lot after all. I don't know. Um, it's a, it's a remarkable quantity of sausage, which is not a sentence I say often. I reckon it's probably Germanic. Um, is it Berlin again? It is Berlin again. Which city straddles two continents? You can name anyone, but. Oh, let me think about this. Um, There's one that's got a very strong football rivalry. The thinking about it is not going well. I don't really know where kind of the boundary is between North and South America, which isn't helping. Where might the boundary be between places that are closer to Europe? It's not. It's not in the EU. I don't think. I mean, nowhere in the EU. So, so, oh, oh, that's a Turkey. Oh, Istanbul. Obviously. There we go. <laughs> like, that's actually, I did. I did the significant Brexiteer eyebrow raise as I said it's not in the EU. <laughs> I'm, I'm a bit embarrassed. It took me so long to work that out. That's actually a bit <laughs> obvious, really. Yeah. I think you're getting tired. How many stop signs are there in Paris? <laughs> None, because they're all in French. Oh, okay. I thought I thought that might be the answer. No, it's one. There's one. There's one stop sign in Paris. Really? Yeah, apparently. But a stop sign as opposed to an arrest sign? Or, well, I'm sure uh, it says arrest, but I, th- I, th- I, th- I thought I could translate the term. because. Do you hate Paris, by the way? No, I don't hate Paris. Do Just, you hate Paris? No, I, lo- I really like Paris, but I've had this run of conversations both on the podcast and off it with people going, oh, I hate Paris. Why? I don't. I mean, like some of it is like stuff that's that's obviously true, but doesn't put me off either because I am not a woman, so do not get molested on the metro. So this doesn't bother me as much as it probably would if I was a woman. Or like the whole place smells of piss, and it's like, well, yeah, that's true, and I don't really like it. But it's still, I don't know. I just, I'm a fan of Paris. It just feels kind of a, like a place. I, I, I like I like Paris, and also if I ruled out cities where I got street harassed, I'd have to move to. St. David's in Wales, and I'd probably get harassed there as well, you probably <laughs> just get, by fewer people. you probably get harassed by someone you know, is probably what Yeah, no, exactly. Were, yeah. At least in Paris and London, I only get harassed by random strangers. Um, but yes, there's only one stop sign in Paris. But what is the population of Minowi, Nebraska? 
Zero. One. Okay. Elise Isler is the town's mayor, sole resident, sole taxpayer, sole tax collector, and by day manages the town's only business, which is a pub. Americans are weird, aren't they? Yeah, no, it's completely weird. There were two people and then her, her late husband passed away. Up. Oh, okay. Yeah, no. So it is a sad story, but this is a different sad story. <laughs> it's a different kind of sad story, but at least she's still got the pub. And she collects her own taxes, which I think is quite funny. In which city does a road accident occur an average of every 19 seconds? Uh, Los Angeles. No, Europe. Oh, um, Rome. A... No. Is it Paris again? No. Barcelona. Oh, okay. Yeah, apparently. Um, which city has an average temperature of minus 8.8 degrees and has a permafrost museum? Please know it because I can't pronounce it. Oh, no, I think... I. It's in Russia. It's Siberian. Yep. I can't pronounce any of the cities in Siberia. It's... It's... Yakutsk? Yakutsk. Yes. I think. I mean, yes. That was, again, you can just, write and tell me I've said that wrong and that I've said Neuer Amsterdam wrong. And then, again, I just did that with like enough confidence that it yeah. sounded right. <laughs> I'm like, John knows he sounded confident. Um, in 1990, there were 10 megacities. How many are there today? Oh, um, London is one of the smallest megacities in that it's only just over 10 million on the kind of urban area definition. And that's about 30 seconds. So I'm going to say 35. I got 28, but it may be that since I wrote these questions, urbanisation has increased pace. <laughs> I mean, this, this again, it kind of depends on how you count, doesn't it? It sort of depends, like, different different data sets have different definitions, so it's... Of how big an urban area is and... Yeah, yeah. or like, you know, whether, like, even silly things, like, if you have kind of, like, a public park dividing a housing estate from the main body of the city... Are they one urban area? Because the public park is kind of like, you know, it's 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 green, but it's kind of municipal space. Or are they, in fact, two different urban areas because there's a green bit in between? Oh, it's like, that's yeah. interesting. And there's kind of no really accepted definitions on this. It's just kind of like consensus. Well, sometimes. I'll give you the point anyway. Oh, we actually, you're not keeping score. I'm not keeping score. <laughs> We're just trying to fill some time until we die. Oh, uh, this is meant to be a celebratory podcast, John. Where are 3,000 euros cleared away from every night? Where are 3,000 euros cleared away from every night? Yeah. Friend in a fountain, the Trevi Fountain. Trevi Fountain, they are donated to charity. In, which is in Rome. It is in Rome. If I told you I'd just paid £4.90 to travel 20 seconds, a distance of only 260 metres, which journey would I have taken? 260 metres. And it cost me £4.90. Oh, um, is it the cable car across the River Thames? No, it is more ridiculous than that. Okay, I don't know. Leicester Square to Covent Garden or vice versa. Oh, yes, which is the shortest gap between any two stations on the tube. And one of the most popular tube journeys with tourists. Tourists are idiots. Yeah, no, they delayed me getting here tonight, so I'm very cross with them. Um, With an incline of 52 degrees, where is the world's steepest funicular? Um, I know you love funiculars. So. Um, I, I do love a funicular. Naples? I don't know. Katoomba, Australia. Oh, okay. Maybe uh, we'll do a trip there for the 200th anniversary yeah, if, any, if anyone out there wants to uh, wants to fund that, then <laughs> should we have our last listener question? Yes, go on, let's. You'll like this one. Hey guys, it's me, John's number one fan. I was just wondering, 
what's the best town for ghosts? Or basically, which cities or towns have the reputation of being haunted or just spooky? Okay, because she didn't introduce herself, I'm going to have to say, finally, 100 episodes in. That's Angry sigh on the podcast. Hi, Julia. And again, I know she can't hear me. I'm doing it to... I mean, but like, she will definitely listen to this. And oh, she yeah. She will probably say hi back, so... <laughs> Wow, what are the spookiest cities? That's a really good question. I bet there's some somewhere in Japan that's amazing for this that I just don't know about. I, I didn't think I'd have an answer, but I've got one. Oh, go on. In that it's associated with a spooky writer, uh, Baltimore. Baltimore, go on. Well, just because Edgar, Edgar Allan Poe was based ah. in Baltimore, wasn't he? So, like, presumably, I mean, all I know about Baltimore really comes from The Wire, um, where there's also like there's a sort of zombie plot in that. They're not really. That's pretty. Zombies. It's pretty grisly. Yeah, yeah, they're not. I mean, they're not actually zombies. It's just like they've been murdered in gang in gang warfare. They're not turned into zombies. They're just they're just dead and then locked in abandoned houses to rot. Um, but presumably, from Edgar Allan Poe, I gather there's also a certain amount of you know people being buried alive or or like you know locking themselves away while they have an enormous party while everyone outside dies of the plague it's, i assume there's a lot of that going on there it, really cuz edgar allan poe was kind of a documentary realist writer so this is this all happened exactly as he well, wrote I mean, it again, down again the what from the wire i understand that, like <laughs> what thing art about baltimore is all very realistic so so there you go all right have you got a better answer well my brain immediately went edinburgh cuz there's there's not only so many ghosts but because the city's built in layers the kind of ghost pet per square foot concentration is very oh, yeah. strong and you can do like ghost tours in edinburgh can't you you can york does a very good ghost tour i've done a ghost tour there but i'm sure there will be it will be kind of japan or something like that because they are so into marking the memory of where horrible things have happened and just letting those ghosts hang around for ages you've got to you've got to kind of it's again it's like the northern powerhouse issue you've got to be proactive about your ghost control and they really they let them just stay in the apartment and curse it forever so is it like a sort of major industry there, like ghost control? Is it but, like, no, 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 genuinely there. Is it publicly yeah. funded? Or? I don't know if it's publicly funded, but you can go online and you can search apartments where terrible things have happened so that, for instance, you don't ever rent an apartment where a suicide has occurred because ah. there's extreme superstition about sites where bad things have happened. So maybe it's not the, the most haunted country, but the records of supposedly haunted or otherwise cursed places I know are very industriously kept in Japan. Somebody's going to write in and tell me I've completely misunderstood how that aspect of Japanese culture works. Do you think that would get you cheaper rent? Um, I mean, yeah, but at what cost? Have you lived anywhere haunted? No, I do live at number... I mean... Like I live at number thirteen. Oh, I'm about to move to a to a different number thirteen. Which is why you can say your your address on the podcast. I might cut that bit, but yeah, but yeah, I'm 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 living in a run of places with a number thirteen. That's a bit a bit spooky, I guess. See, I think our flat has a has a demon in it because we. That's, <laughs> this is a really long. That's story. Connor. That's your boyfriend. He no, hey, no. It's um, we have a um. We have a shrine of St. Joseph on the wall, as, as I'm, I'm, I'm sure we all do. And, and it fell very dramatically off the wall. And then when I went to pick it up, a spider crawled out. Um, and a couple of months later, hundreds of baby spiders appeared all over the flat. So, um. I don't think this is having a demon. I think this is having some spiders. But then a, um, dilapidated abandoned doll's house appeared outside the flat with several stab marks in it. This is litter. This is like 
Okay, well, I'm going to get the priest round just in case. Okay. But <laughs> thank you, Julia, for a good question. It's nice to finally get her on. Yeah. Are you ready for your final round? Okay, the final round. Let's do it. This is called the city metric round. Okay. It's a meta round. Besses of the Barn is a stop on which transport network? That's the Manchester Metrolink. It is. 7.1% of the so-called green belt is what? Um, Built on? No. Roads? No. I took all of these from articles you have written. <laughs> yes, but I don't remember what I wrote this morning. 7.1% of the green belt is golf courses, John. Oh, okay. You were really angry about it at the time. I still am really angry about it. I just didn't recognise the number. <laughs> Seriously, like just grant planning permission to golf courses. <laughs> that you'd solve you'd solve things at one fell swoop. It's amazing. How many stations are called Chicago in Chicago? Oh, it's, it's free, uh, but they have had several angry emails pointing out they're actually called things like Chicago slash Lake. They just don't bother putting that on the map. Okay, which is that's worse, isn't it? It's like we're no, we're only going to put half of the name on the map just to really f- the tourists. <laughs> What is the tagline of City Metric? <laughs> <laughs> um, if you're an advertiser, switch off now. Urbanism news for the social media age. It, infrastructure news of a side of snark. I, it's, it's yes. Something like that. No, yeah, you're, ba- you're basically right. I, I was surprised. I mean, I did literally write that, but some years ago. And completely forgot it. Yeah. Um, which tube terminal station has the funniest name? Cockfosters. Yes. According to Intel acquired by New Statesman staffers, which song did you dance to at your school disco? I, mean, I have many questions of my own about this one, but I don't, I don't know. Green sleeves. <laughs> because of how old you are. Do you not remember this where we photoshopped you as Henry VIII at your school disco? No, I've blocked that one. Okay. I really my my short term memory is not what it was. Okay. Well it probably isn't effective you getting older. On what date did City Metric editor and New Statesman writer John Ellidge fall down a manhole? It was about March no hang on, no, it would have been earlier than that. It would have been it probably would have been very early February twenty seventeen. Late w- January? No, it was March the eighth, twenty seventeen. Really? Really? That surprises me. I genuinely, I looked it up. Yeah, it just doesn't fit with my chronology of what else was going on in my life at the time, but okay. Yeah, March the 8th, 2017, you fell down a manhole. I mean, I did fall down a manhole. That is a thing that happened. I just wanted to bring that up. (laughs) It still sometimes hurts. Physically or emotionally? No, physically. (laughs) Just occasionally, like, I'm a bit stiff in the leg that I damaged, and I think possibly that's now a permanent thing. Uh, This is a shout-out to Barbara, who we heard from earlier. Which city has the most outlets of High Street Bakery Greggs? I mean, you want somewhere big and northern. It's probably uh, Manchester. Further north? Newcastle. Newcastle it is. If I showed you a car that was nine inches long, would you believe it was a toy or a real car? Those were very convincing pictures. <laughs> they looked like real trains. <laughs> and also, by the way, it was kind of it was quite late on a Friday. I had a, I had the New Statesman web editor, Jasper Jackson, leaning over me going, Come on, I'll go to the pub 
and and I was in a rush to try and 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 and, and the writer was trolling me, which was not you know. I would say that was an unprofessional <laughs> thing to do, to send pictures of model trains to an editor to publish alongside an article. But I can't really complain about him being unprofessional because he writes for me out of the goodness of his heart because he really likes trains. So I don't know. The answer is a toy car. 8 to 11 inches is the most popular size for collectors. Well, they say it's 8 to 11 inches, but... <laughs> what happened? Final question. Okay. What happened to last year's Garvelay goat? <laughs> I actually could have prepared for that one because it's so obvious in retrospect that was going to come up. I think last year it survived. It survived. I think the, it was a rare year where, yeah. The Garvelay goat, like this podcast, survived. Well, thank you. Thank you for coming back to celebrate. Can we go and, can we go and have a drink now? We can go and have a yeah. drink, especially since your leg's so stiff from the manhole cover. Yeah. I'll get you a brandy. There won't be an episode of Skylines next week. I'm going to take a week off from podcasting to go on a bit of a reporting trip. But we'll be back in two weeks' time. And in the meantime, why don't you check out one of the many episodes from the archive that the odds are you haven't listened to yet. I would particularly recommend Barbara Speed's last episode, which is number 14. It's a very good one. Uh, we did one on the gender in cities with Caroline Criado Perez. And there's one which is basically just me and Stephen Bush having an argument about how many lines there are on the tube. I would recommend all of those, but also like all the others, because, you know, I would, wouldn't I? Thank, thank you, everyone, for listening. And, you know, stick around. <laughs> You've been listening to Skylines, the podcast from City Metric, the New Statesman City site. It was presented and produced by me, John Ellidge. If you enjoyed the episode, then please do consider leaving us an iTunes review. It really helps other people to discover the show. And, you know, the more people get listening to the show, the sooner I can achieve my real goal of world domination for the medium of trains. Thanks for listening. Goodbye. Perfect. Okay. Um, the other thing is, Jim sent three questions. Of course he did. Hello, City Metric. I want you to put your cards on the table. It's Jim Waterson here, again, asking another question. I was wondering whether you could just definitively name three cities in the UK that should pipe down about how great they are, and three cities that should speak up about how brilliant they are. And I really, really want you to offend as many listeners as possible in the process. Okay, quick fire round. The bonus for anyone who hasn't stopped listening. I think the ones that should shut up are London, Edinburgh. I think it's harder at that point. Bristol, maybe? Bristol! That, yes, those yeah. are my exact three. I was yeah. just about to step in with Bristol. Yeah, you're like, you've got some graffiti in the nice arts community. Congratulations. And it is all just, I mean, like Bristol and Edinburgh to a certain extent. Their snobbery is basically because like, people are from London have moved out and are like, oh no, actually it's really good here. That's true. And I, I'm, I mean, I love all of these cities, but they still need to like rein in a little bit. Three that should shout more. Bradford, Glasgow... Are there any more good cities? So definitely with you on Glasgow. think it's brilliant. Are these UK cities? Yeah. Belfast. Cardiff. Cardiff is good. Yes, I love Cardiff. and But Belfast, I think of as a city that has been enlivened over the past few decades to such a fantastic degree. It's now such a wonderful place to be and visit. And it feels like a city that's really on the move 
to an extent where, I mean, I love Manchester, but when people are singing the praises of Manchester's regeneration from the heavens, you always feel they're slightly overlooking what Belfast has become recently. Um, go if you've not been and you can easily go because it's great there. And I'm sure this is not in any way threatened by any political events we could discuss at this juncture, but aren't going to because we've already rolled the credits. Do you know I did the angriest email I ever got? Was it when you said that Dublin was in the UK? I did not say that Dublin was in the UK. You said it was one of the best cities in the UK. No, I said that, you know, a certain problem was not just happening in the UK. It was also in our European neighbours. And then they went on to talk about Dublin. And a lot of people jumped to the conclusion that I've been talking about Dublin as part of the UK as opposed to in one of Britain's European neighbours, which it definitely is. Well, it wasn't the headline, these are UK cities that are great and we don't talk about them and then Dublin was in a list. Did that happen? I didn't write that. Did you not? I think I, I remember you getting told off for saying that Dublin was in the UK. No, no, there was a thing where I might cut this bit. We're not really going anywhere with it. Um, it was um, your first interaction with Irish Twitter, wasn't it? It's quite angry. I like Irish Twitter. <laughs> <It's quite> angry, <laughs> We're generally on the same side. But no, but no, it's seriously like a load of people leapt down my throat because they've misread a sentence. Like genuinely. This See, is not... I think I'm thinking of a different instant. I no, think it is maybe. when you, oh no, you called it the British Isles. Yeah. That's what I'm thinking of. Yeah. No, I don't do We've that. We've talked about that before. We have talked about that before. But no, I mean, like, I'm, it's, I, I'm, it's pre- these Isles. I'm prepared to, I mean, the problem is that's a stupid name. Mm. I'm prepared to accept we should not use British Isles, but there is no other universally accepted and recognisable alternative. So I'm now trying stuffed. to remember the Irish for North Atlantic Archipelago and I can't. Odd that. Yeah, well. Hello, it's Jim Waterson again here. I thought I'd ask another question. I was just wondering if, unprompted and without Googling this, you know the only tube station without any of the letters of the word mackerel in it. This was a tube ad not too long ago. I have two answers to this. Go on. The first answer is St John's Wood. Yeah. The second answer is, get a life, Jim. Yeah, let's go to the pub. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.